Please uh, open your Bibles to page 984 of your pew Bible, but it's Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10 that we'll be reading. And we'll mainly be focusing on like verses 7 and 8 today, but uh, we're going to read verses 6 through 10 now. Before I do so, I'd like to say happy Thanksgiving. One year ago today, I was supposed to be here, and I was in the hospital because we were having our baby, and who will be one years old tomorrow. And this morning, he was, uh, as I was eating breakfast, I look up, and he had walked all the way across the room to me, and without any help. So I'm very thankful for that today, and I'm sure we all have our own Thanksgivings today, but let's let's uh, briefly focus on on the Word of God now, from Colossians chapter two, verses six through ten. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Please join me in prayer before we jump into this. Lord, thank you so much for this day of thanksgiving that you call your people to be thankful at all times on every day and every occasion. It's hard, Lord, but I ask you, Lord, to make that true of us as we focus on your words today. Please bless them. I realize that asking you to bless your word is like asking the stars to shine because your word is blessing itself. But Father, I ask that today it would bless us in a special way. May it shine even brighter, so to speak. And may it change us. And may we feel that change. And may we leave here better people, renewed in you by the power of your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. Okay, so this is the book of Colossians that we're just jumping into may help to give a little bit of background. This book was written by the Apostle Paul. He also wrote most of the New Testament. It was written while he was in prison, and it was probably written about the same time as he wrote the letter to the Ephesians. It was written to Christians who lived in a place called Colossae, and if you lived there, you were referred to as a Colossian, hence the title, the Book of Colossians. And the Colossians were being influenced by false teachers who were adding rules and regulations to the freedom of salvation found in Jesus Christ alone. They were adding chains to the gospel, so to speak, chains of legalism to the freedom of the gospel. And in this letter, Paul teaches us that Jesus Christ is superior to all human philosophies and traditions. Jesus Christ is superior to all human philosophies and And traditions. And those who believe in Him, those who belong to Him, and those who walk in Him should abound in thanksgiving. So, today, as we look at this, I want you to ask just one question 
To whom do I belong? To whom do I belong? In this letter, like I said, Paul's trying to teach us that Christ is superior to all human philosophies and traditions. And he spent some time earlier before chapter 2 telling us who Jesus is and why he is superior. Just a couple of things. And when I say couple, I mean a lot more than two. Jesus Christ is God on earth in the flesh, we learned. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the head of the church. He's the one in whom the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. He's the one through whom you may have a relationship of peace with the creator of the entire universe. Because Jesus offered his body of flesh, making peace with God for you, for your sins, by the blood of his cross. And he offers this peace to all who would receive this free gift by faith in him. Not faith in themselves or their works, but faith in him and his work. If you receive this gift, then he promises you forgiveness for all of your sins, past, present, and future. And he promises that you will be adopted as a child of the Most High God and that you can call the God who created the universe your dad, your father, in the same way that he did. Jesus is superior to all human philosophies and traditions. And those who believe in him, who belong to him and who walk in him, should be abounding in thanksgiving. Now, thanksgiving in this verse, particularly verse 7, says that, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, that word thanksgiving simply means to express gratitude for benefits or blessings. Now, the body of believers has been redeemed, and we should be the most thankful and joyful place on earth. I don't know about you, but in my 12 years in ministry, I don't see that very often. In fact, it seems to be a a body many times that, that eats its own. That's a problem, a big problem. We should be abounding in thanksgiving. To whom do I belong? See, ultimately, true thankfulness is experienced when we're made right with God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 8, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Notice that he follows the charge to be thankful with a warning, a warning against captivity. And the word captive there, in Greek, it meant to take over complete control of a person. Another way of saying this is, see to it that no one gains control over you by human wisdom. Now, why would he say this? It's because the captivity of philosophy according to human tradition and not according to Jesus Christ stifles, stunts, and neutralizes true joy and thanksgiving. Captivity of philosophy according to human tradition, and not according to Jesus Christ, stifles, stunts, 
and neutralizes the growth of joy and true thanksgiving that should be evidenced in the body of believers and in Christians' lives. We're to be held captive by Christ's love alone and every thought of ours captive to that love. And Jesus is superior to any human tradition and all human traditions. In Matthew 19, 14, he said to us, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So you can see the spirit of thankfulness in children. Thankfulness is the spirit of the kingdom of heaven. Thankfulness is the spirit of faith. And Christ calls us to have a spirit of faith and thankfulness that is like a child. But what does that look like? So many times we just, we grow up. And that's why we love Peter Pan, because he didn't grow up. But so many times we just grow up. But what does a child look like? A child is messy. Do you remember your children or when you were a child ever coming in from playing outside with mud or dirt or who knows what all over you? I bet your children, if they do that, I bet they were happy and had a big smile on their face. That's because they came to you as they were. Is this how you approach God? Because if you're adopted as his child through faith, this is how you can approach him. And that's why Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can go to God our Father, messy, dirty, as we are, all because of Jesus. A child also delights in the small things of life and doesn't worry about the big things like mortgages and you fill in the blank. But a child trusts that their parents have that under control and they go play. Sometimes they trust it completely blindly. Raindrops on roses, whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles, warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things, right? These are the sort of things that kids rejoice in. A child likes to go outside and jump in puddles. A child delights in life. A child looks at a sidewalk and sees a playground. A child doesn't focus on the cracks, but jumps around them, over them, and even knows how to delight in them. In the hallway outside my old office, downstairs, there are these different colored tiles on the floor. And over the course of the years, seeing many people walk by there, there were two different responses. Adults would typically walk by, and they may comment, oh, that's shiny, or look at how pretty those colors are. Um, That's really beautiful. But nine times out of ten, the the smaller kids will play hopscotch on those tiles. And in Christ, you can find happiness even in the midst of of trials, uh, because heaven's on the way. It's always something on the way. It's always something at the end of that hopscotch. There's always something, something good, even in the plain. And it may seem bad now, but let me tell you, it's going to get a whole lot better. A child is also real. 
Some of you may remember the old Bill Cosby show, Kids Say the Darndest Things. And it's just kids just talking and he interviews them and, and they have no pretenses. If your breath is bad, a child is going to tell you it's bad. If they're mad at you, they're probably going to tell you. And they might not even talk to you, but they'll tell you in some way. And then they become teenagers. <laughs> and then they just quit talking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. In, in Christ, you can be honest with God, the Father, about the good, about the bad. You don't have to have any pretenses. And you can see that attitude of honesty all over the Psalms. A child also asks. I'm going to read an excerpt uh, from Paul Miller's book, Praying Life. Great book if you haven't read it. He says, let's do a quick analysis on how little children ask. What do they ask for? Everything and anything. If they hear about Disneyland, they want to go there tomorrow. How often do little children ask? Repeatedly, over and over again. They wear us out. Sometimes we give in just to shut them up. How do little children ask? Without guile, they just say what's on their minds, and they have no awareness of what is appropriate or inappropriate. And Jesus tells us to watch little children if we want to learn how to ask in prayer. Is this the sort of relationship that you have with your Father in heaven? To whom do I belong? Now, where am I going with all of this, you may be saying? Weren't we in Colossians, not Matthew, Derek? Yes, we were, and I'm glad you asked. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The opposite of a childlike spirit is a cynical spirit. To quote... Paul Miller again, cynicism is increasingly the dominant spirit of our age. He says, personally, it is my greatest struggle in prayer. If I get an answer to prayer, sometimes I'll think it would have happened anyway, and other times I'll try to pray, but wonder if it makes any sense at all. When I say that cynicism is the spirit of the age, I mean it's an influence, a tone that permeates our culture one of the master temptations of our age. It is so pervasive that at times it feels like a presence. Behind the spirit of the age lies an unseen, personal evil presence, a spirit. And if Satan can't stop you from praying, then he will try to rob the fruit of praying by dulling your soul. Cynicism creates numbness towards life. Cynicism begins with the wry assurance that everyone has an angle. Behind every silver lining is a cloud. To be cynical is to be distant while offering a false intimacy of being in the know. Cynicism actually destroys intimacy. It leads to a creeping bitterness that can deaden and even destroy the spirit. A praying life is just the opposite. Life of a Christian is just the opposite. It engages evil. It doesn't take no for an answer. The psalmist was in God's face, hoping, dreaming, asking, and prayer is feisty. Cynicism, on the other hand, merely critiques, is passive, cocooning itself from the passions of the great cosmic battle we are engaged in. It is without hope. Our personal struggles with cynicism and defeated weariness are reinforced by an increasing tendency toward perfectionism 
in American culture. Believing you have to have the perfect relationship, the perfect children, a perfect body, sets you up for critical spirit, which is the breeding ground for cynicism. Cynicism is the air we breathe. It's the suffocating, sorry, it is suffocating our hearts. And unless we become disciples of Jesus, this present evil age will first deaden and then destroy our prayer lives, not to mention our souls. Our only hope is to follow Jesus as he leads us out of cynicism. Why do I talk about all this? Is this you? Did you know that cynicism was actually an ancient Greek philosophy? And Paul is warning us to be thankful and abounding in thanksgiving in Christ and not to be held captive by empty philosophy according to human tradition. Did you know that cynicism was founded by Antisthenes? It was marked by an ostentatious contempt for ease and pleasure. It was a movement that flourished in the 3rd century and then in 3rd century BC and then revived in 1st century AD. And the remnants of it and morphing remnants of it are all around us in America. We still see it today. It may just be holding us captive as believers in a philosophy according to human tradition, not according to Jesus. It may just be stifling, stunning, and neutralizing the growth of true joy and thanksgiving in the body of believers that the world needs to see. Jesus is superior to all human traditions and philosophies. And those who believe in him, who belong to him, and who walk in him should abound in thanksgiving. And this is the challenge that we all face. Not becoming cynical, not leading cynically, and not losing hope in this very, very, very cynical age and culture. For when we become cynical... We've forgotten not only who we are, but to whom we belong. And Paul knew that. And he knew that when we fall captive to empty philosophy, that we forget whose we are. We forget who's in control. And that's why he warns us, yet points us back to Jesus. See, as a Christian, you believe not in an empty philosophy, but you believe in Jesus Christ You don't believe in an idea. You believe in the Son of God who was risen from the dead. And you become a child of God yourself through a relationship of faith in His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Because of this, we can all call God our Father. We can approach His throne of grace when we are a messy child, when we need Him. We can be real with Him. We can delight in puddles and trials And yes, we can ask incessantly. And if we can approach God in this way, then we can approach anybody on earth in this way with the same spirit of love, joy, and confidence in Jesus Christ. And that spirit will change the world. And if all of this is true, then that is something to be thankful for. Jesus Christ. He's superior to all human philosophies and traditions. And if we believe in him and belong to him and walk in him, we can and should abound in thanksgiving because we're free. We are free. So to whom do I belong? That's the question I want you to ask. And when you ask yourself that question, do you answer 
I belong to Jesus. If you do answer, I belong to Jesus, let me ask you, are you being held captive by the philosophy of cynicism? Has it stifled and stunted and neutralized your ability to have joy or thanksgiving or to abound in thanksgiving? If so, you're at the right place. And God loves you. And he doesn't want that. He wants you to be able to approach him like a child approaches his his mother and father. If so, would you ask God to free you today and to give you the childlike spirit of the kingdom of heaven? If you hear the question, to whom do I belong, and you say, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I don't belong to Jesus. Well, if you don't know God as your father, and if you've never accepted him, and the free gift of salvation, peace, forgiveness, and eternal life that he's offering you today, would you please ask him to save you? Would you please ask him to free you today and to give you the childlike spirit of the kingdom of heaven? Are you the sort of person that's behind every silver lining as a cloud, or are you the sort of person that's behind every cloud as silver lining? Which camp do you think the Christians are to be in? As Paul Miller also says, both the child and the cynic walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The cynic focuses on the darkness. The child focuses on the shepherd. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving, and see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. May the Lord be praised. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this gospel truth. Set us free again and again and again and again, Lord. We need to see the freedom that you give us, yet so many times we're comfortable in returning to chains because they're familiar. Please, set us free. Set us free. May we be a lamp on a stand, a city on a hill, and a light shining in the darkness for you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.